Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. I hope that you are doing so, so well. Okay, first question for you today. Have you ever heard of the term ADHD? I'm going to say probably like 100% yes, maybe not. If not, this is what we're talking about today. I'm really pumped to have this episode. So I think ADHD is something that we are becoming more familiar with in general. I think social media has done a great job in terms of teaching a little bit more about different neurodivergence and ADHD being one of them. Um, In the work that we do with disordered eating, eating disorder, it's something that we see quite a bit. So if you are someone who has ADHD or has disordered eating, I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode and tactical tips that we can have for our nutrition if we do have ADHD. So I hope that this is going to be super, super helpful. And today to talk about ADHD, we have Becca King with us. And I'm so excited. She is a registered dietitian from Charlotte, North Carolina, and she really specializes in helping adults with ADHD who struggle, struggles with disordered eating. She's really passionate about helping folks with ADHD and disordered eating because she has ADHD and has had disordered eating. So she mixes her, her lived experience with her clinical experience to really support folks in this approach. She is anti-diet, weight-inclusive, believes in intuitive eating, all of the good things. So I'm really, really excited that she's going to be here on the podcast with us today. So I hope that you're going to love this episode as much as I did. And if you do like it, please take 90 seconds to go leave us a review. We are on a mission, my friend, to spread this anti-diet message. And I would love for you to be part of that message with us and really support this podcast by leaving us a review and a five-star rating. So thank you so much in advance. And I hope that you're going to love this episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so pumped because today we have Becca King who is here with us and we're going to talk about ADHD and we're going to talk about intuitive eating. And I know that a lot of you guys are going to like learn so much from this episode. So I'm so pumped that you're here. Hello, Becca. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Of course. I'm super pumped to talk about this um, topic of conversation. It's something I think that in my world has come up a lot more and I think people are just becoming more aware of it. So I think it's going to be a really cool episode. I think so too. Yes. Yeah. So before we get into the needy greedy, could you tell us maybe a little bit more about you, who you are and what got you to do the work that you do today? Uh, I obviously my name's Becca. Um, I'm a registered dietitian. I have ADHD. Um, and I also struggled with disordered eating and that's kind of what I help 
a lot of my clients with is folks who have ADHD and usually struggle with binge eating or overeating in some way, shape or form. Um, and I kind of got started in this, um, we were chatting earlier. I had actually worked in weight loss as my first job. And then that really wasn't a good fit for me. Um, and did not align with my values as a dietitian. And so, um, I was, I got the chance to get laid off at the beginning of the pandemic and I knew I wanted to work like in the anti-diet, like intuitive eating space, but I didn't know who I wanted to work with. And I was reflecting on my story and like my experience and working with a really good friend. And we both kind of struggled with the same thing. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to start talking about this. Like I did some like polls and some Facebook support groups for ADHDers and all of the women that they struggled with binge eating. And so I was like, no one's talking about this. And like, even all the resources for ADHD and nutrition were really focused on like, um, like how to feed a kid who has ADHD or eat this, not that, which drives me nuts, you know, with ADHD. And I was like, there's no resources. Like all of these kids grow up to become adults and still have to feed themselves and most likely still have ADHD. So like, there's no resources for this. And I was like, I'm going to start talking about this. And it was obviously the beginning of the pandemic. I had a lot of free time. Um, so I kind of got to like use my ability to hyper-focus to just learn everything I could more about ADHD and like it, the relationship between that and eating. So, yeah, that's awesome. And thank you so much for sharing with us. And for breast record, we talked about like most dietitians start in some type of weight loss centric model because that's yeah. what we're taught. And then we evolve <laughs> and we yeah. do something different. Yeah. Uh, but I love that. I love that you take something that was um, very personal to you and your own lived experience and now get to support folks with that. Yeah. Um, I'd love for us to talk before we get into like the eating patterns. I'd love for us to talk about like what is actually ADHD and what are some common mm-hmm. myths about it. Cause I think yeah. there are many. Um, yeah. so could you, could you give us like a broad view of like, what is ADHD? What does it actually mean if someone has ADHD? Yeah. All of the things. So it is basically it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It used to be, some people will say ADD. Um, it used to be ADD and ADHD, but they got rid of ADD and now it's ADHD. And then there's like the hyperactive impulsive type um, the inattentive type and then the combined, which just means you have like, there's like nine, I believe nine symptoms for both. And you have six, at least six of the nine symptoms from both, um, types. Um, it's basically a developmental impairment of your executive functioning. So having issues with prioritizing, um, planning, staying on task, completing things, um, for some people, especially if they're hyperactive, they might be more restless, um, Myths, I think, with ADHD is that like maybe more boys have it than girls. Um, and I think part of the reason it's more in the mainstream now, I think a lot more women are getting diagnosed with ADHD, which is great. And so I think there's just more conversation around it. Um, and usually there's like the stereotype of like that little hyperactive boy who like can't sit still and maybe, you know, misbehaves in class. And that's kind of, I feel like the stereotype of ADHD, but it really shows up in a variety of different ways. And especially for females, it usually doesn't show up like that. So that's why women tend to get diagnosed later in life. Um, being lazy, I think is a really big, big one. Um, like, Oh, you're just ADHD or or like lazy. Yeah. Like, Oh, you're just not, I think people don't, if, especially if they're not diagnosed yet, people might just be like, Oh, you're just lazy. Or it's like, why can't you keep, you know, why can't you do the dishes or, you know, for kids, you know, doing your homework or, 
you're just not trying, just try harder. And, you know, it might be that they're trying really, really hard. Or for some of my clients, that's like, you know, I know I need to eat, but I'm almost like stuck on the couch. You know, it's not that I'm lazy or I don't want to go cook a meal. It's just that like, I can't get myself, I can't get myself to start that task. Like, you know, for whatever reason, cause there's maybe too many steps. I can't think of where to get started. Um, I think that one's probably like the biggest one that like I see a lot and there's a lot of guilt and shame attached to that because being told you're lazy all the time from a, you know, like a young age or that you just need to try harder. doesn't really help. Or if people are unorganized, you know, just get a planner. <laughs> it's like one of those things that people like hear all the time. It's like, I have a planner or I have four or five planners and they don't work. Like it doesn't matter if I have a planner, I might still forget that I need to be somewhere at a certain time. Yeah. I'd say those are probably some of the biggest ones that I see. Yeah. And I let's ask like a couple of follow-up questions. Yeah. Um, Words that we hear often too is like neurodivergent. Um, Could you kind of explain like what the difference is, if there is a difference, if it's all the same for folks? Yeah. Like, um, Neurodivergent is basically like the umbrella term. And so like ADHD, autism, bipolar, um, just a lot of, you know, different mental health conditions can kind of fall under that umbrella. Um, and so some people will say neurodivergent versus ADHD just as kind of a more broader term, or if someone maybe has more than like, there are a lot of people who have ADHD and autism. So it might be easier for them just to say neurodivergent versus having to add a bunch of things all together. Yeah, I know. Of course. And I do have like some clients that find that there's less stigma attached to saying like neurodivergent, like it sounds almost like better, which is like such a weird fucked up thing to say, yeah. No, um, but that they, they, they really um, attach themselves to that term because it feels better and more yeah. like, yeah. And I yeah. think it is, there's just been a lot of stigma around, especially like autism and things like that. So saying neurodivergent, I think helps people understand that it really is just that someone's brain functions a little bit differently than what's considered the quote unquote norm. And so I think for that makes it more acceptable or more normalizes it a little bit more for people who might still attach a stigma to certain diagnoses. Yeah. Yeah. And how do someone gets diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah. So usually you go see like an attention specialist or like someone who's a psychiatrist and they will do testing with you. Um, there's all sorts of different like um, like there's one test where like a little thing kind of flashes across the screen and you have to click it, you know, when it hits this, you know, square or whatever. Um, there's like an eye blink test that they do. Um, I did something a little bit, I don't know if it's as much as a standard anymore from when I got diagnosed, but my therapist just did like a, like a test of different, um, just asked me a bunch of questions. And I like, you know, rated myself on like a scale of one to five. And then she, you know, did some sort of calculation with the results to figure out, you know, okay, you do have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it is unfortunately for a lot of people being diagnosed sometimes is very inaccessible mm-hmm. um, because it's very expensive. Or if you live in a country with like more of like a national nationalized healthcare, um, it, the wait, especially during COVID to get um, mental health services sometimes is really long. Like in the UK, if you don't see someone privately, it's like a year wait to get evaluated for ADHD. Yeah. 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 It's hard. It's hard. It, and I mean, we see that with all things. Like I work a lot with eating disorder care and it's like diagnosis, like can be great, can be super validating for someone yeah. in their appearance. And 
even if you don't have a diagnosis, your, your experience is still so, so valid. Um, yeah. and you don't need a diagnosis to get this. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. People um, always ask me that they're like, when they work with me, they're like, do I need a diagnosis to work with you? And I'm like, if, no. <laughs> if this resonates with you, or even if you're just still exploring, if you have it or not, like, I'm not going to gatekeep you from getting yeah. help with working on your relationship with food because you haven't spent the thousands of dollars to go get yeah. a piece of paper that says, yes, I have it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's cool now, and like, I mean, social media has a lot of good, a lot of bad, but I think one thing that's good is that we get to like know a little bit more about these things and we can recognize ourselves in a lot of the things, right. That you're like, Oh my God, like I thought this was a weird thing that I did. Yes. (laughs) I love getting comments like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I love when people comment on my posts. It's like, Oh my God, I I didn't think I thought it was the only person that did this or did that. And it's like, no, you're not at all. And just normalizes so much, so much. I remember for me, it was like, I always like sit in my car between transition points. Like it's a thing that I do all the time. And like, I thought it was super weird. My partner gave me like, not shit, but he was always like, why do you like stay in the car 10 minutes before coming (laughs) inside? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause if I don't, it's just like super chaotic. And then when I like saw an account, they're like, this is actually a thing. And I was like, yeah. It's cool. It's cool in that sense. Um, I'd love to know. So when we think of someone who uh, may have ADHD, like how does that intersect with nutrition? Like how does it actually impact nutrition and like, why does it impact nutrition? And then we can talk a little bit more about like the steps that we can take and how intuitive it may or may not fit in. Yeah. So I think when it comes back to that, like executive kind of executive dysfunction piece, like if you think about from the time you have to decide what to eat to getting food on your plate, like there's a lot of executive function involved in that. Um, and so that can be very complicated for people. Like you may not be able to decide what to eat um, or going to the grocery store might be very overwhelming or being able to plan a meal and put all the pieces together um, without getting overwhelmed or whatever can feel like a lot Um, or people for a lot of my clients, it's like, they may not recognize that they're hungry, even if they're not on medication until like they need food now. Um, there's kind of like, some people say there's like a perception of time for ADHD years is like now and not now. And so when it's not now, it's like, okay, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. Now I'm hungry. And at that point it's like, I need food in like the next five or 10 minutes. And usually that means for a lot of people, they're like, maybe making food choices that they wouldn't make if they weren't ravenous. And, and then it's frustrating because it's like, Hey, I might want, I may maybe have all the ingredients in my fridge to make a meal, but I'm so hungry that I'm just going to grab whatever is the quickest, easiest thing. And not that any foods are necessarily bad, but they're like, it's just, it's, you know, and then they end up wasting the food in their fridge because it goes bad kind of thing. So um, I think that's some of the ways um, that it can show up. Um, as well as like eating for stimulation. I talk about this a lot on my page, like because ADHD brains are lower in dopamine, um, our brains are constantly seeking stimulation and food, especially carbs and, and sweets, which are delicious, um, tend to be a good source of, of dopamine for people. So a lot of my clients are females that are diagnosed later in life. And so for them, they might be self-medicating with food their whole life and never really realizing it. So they may be someone who grazes all the time or you know like the person a lot of times if they get diagnosed like after college like oh that's why I needed that you know crunchy snack in the library so I could stay focused kind of thing yeah yeah I love that so like food can play a role 
in terms of like the comfort, the soothing, the yeah. like, I'm sure with the sensory as well of like different yeah. foods that can kind of, kind of play a role. But then on the other side of it, food can also be a kind of like an all or nothing of like, yes. I don't think about it until I need it. And even like, yeah, all of the steps of recipes, sometimes I see recipes with like 25 different steps and it's like, uh, no, how? <laughs> like, what is happening right now? Who has this time? Like, yeah. doing? Um, but to actually put something together. So I'm really curious. So if we start with this angle of like the, the executive functioning, like how, how, what would be tips for folks who are having a hard time with this? Yeah, I think, and this is kind of where I love intuitive eating because it does remove a lot of that, like good versus bad, or all of some of those rules you might have around what we should, or like, you know, I should be making everything from scratch or whatever of like, Hey, what are, I call them shortcuts versus like convenience foods, but like, what are shortcuts you can take? Like, maybe it's, you don't like a lot of dishes so you make one pan, you know, like sheet pan meals or one pot meals. Um, so you don't have as many dishes to do, and then it might feel easier to actually make a meal, or maybe it's finding little pieces like, okay, I don't like you know, rice takes too long to make in a, so I can get, you know, the microwave thing of rice or, you know, buying pre-cut vegetables. If chopping vegetables is something that prevents you from using them, like a lot of my clients, like I'll just open the drawer and there's a bunch of rotted produce that I meant to use and I didn't get to it. So like giving yourself permission to kind of maybe explore ways to simplify things. Yeah. And like, I'm a huge fan of like, trying to find recipes that maybe take less than 30 minutes and use as minimal of ingredients as possible. So that way, when you look at it, it's not like, oh my God, there's 20 or more ingredients on this list. And then there's all these steps and I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, So kind of exploring things. I have my clients kind of write out the steps of the cooking process and then just kind of thinking about which ones feel like a barrier or really overwhelming or stressful for them. And then exploring different ways we can simplify that or delegate it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like planning in advance for those times and like setting, like I'm really big on like the setting, the environment for success and not all the pressure on like the individual to do all of the things perfectly, but like what in our environment could change to make this a little bit more supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some really cool TikToks with like um, I don't know if they're still as trendy, but there was like how to organize your fridge sort of thing of like, instead of leaving your veggies in like the crisper drawer, some people will put them, you know, either at eye level in their fridge or put them in their, like in the door so that they actually see them because it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind for a lot of ADHD years. So mm-hmm. putting things, you know, where they can see them. So they actually use them up or buying, maybe it might sometimes be a little bit more waste plastic wise or kind of you might end up paying a little bit more for some things but like maybe it is buying individual containers of things so that you know people be like oh just you know just get the big container and portion out yourself and for some people that's too many steps in in the process so it's like give yourself permission to use things that feel more accessible to you yeah yeah I love that and I love it's kind of like a a very like judgment-free approach of like what are the steps what am I able to do what feels like there's too much friction? And then what do we change to make sure that I can do it? So it's like such a personalized approach to like 
yeah, my care and making sure that like, okay, if I want to be able to do this, like, what are those steps? Like, I, I really love the way that you're saying it. Cause I think a lot of people can feel, um, I'll just start from my own experience. You can just feel like you're like, ah, oh, I should be just able to do this. I, like, yeah, I should. It's not that hard. Yeah. Like you're like hashtag adulting and I cannot do this. <laughs> yeah. so it yeah. feels very gentle to just, yeah. be like, I don't know, like allowing yourself to do that. Something that I think can be super helpful too is like letting go of the idea that like every day needs to be a different recipe and like having yeah. all of the variety all of the time and like food staples and go-tos are like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like your body is okay and you can eat the same thing on repeat and yeah. it's fine. Yeah. I think that takes a lot of like pressures, like especially on social media, when you see people like trying out new recipes for like every meal and it's just like, that's awesome. And like, no, no, <laughs> I tried that at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, <sighs> I'm not going to go to the, gro- I'm going to meal plan for two weeks. So I only have to go to the grocery store once. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. And then I went through my Pinterest, of course, and I was like, well, I have a ton of free time. So I'm going to make all these recipes I've never made before. And I think it made one or two of them because there was just too, trying too many different recipes in the same week versus, Hey, maybe I'll add one new recipe to try. And that will feel more approachable to me than trying all of these different recipes and then being exhausted or not doing it like I did. And then it just ended up like making a hodgepodge of food or throwing out a ton of food afterwards. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I'd love to talk about like the other spectrum as well. So how they, how ADHD can also, um, yeah, like impact that piece with like relationship with food and how it can become kind of like the comfort and soothing and that inside of diet culture, I think complicates everything too. on like our, our own relationship, I'd love to talk a little bit about this. Like if someone is using food to soothe in different levels like how do we address that how do we yeah what are tips for people here I think um, acknowledging what sorts of emotions or feelings or even emotional dysregulation is another piece of ADHD so it is sometimes harder to regulate emotions and food again can be a way to do that um so I think normalizing it and saying that it's okay Um, you know, just like in the, when we talk about like coping with your emotions with kindness and intuitive eating of like acknowledging that food might be there, obviously it's not going to fix typically what you're feeling, but it might provide you some temporary relief in some sort of way. Um, and also exploring, you know, maybe other coping tools we can add so that food isn't maybe the only thing that we rely on. And I kind of help my clients think through that process of like, what would be good or like most helpful for me in this moment? And sometimes it might be food and that's awesome, but other times it might be calling a friend or playing with my dog or, you know, listening to music or something and being okay with exploring different avenues, but also keeping food as a part of that. Because obviously if we're saying I can't ever do that, there's so much more guilt and shame attached to it. And then when you do allow yourself to like eat for stimulation or as a way to self-soothe, you're going to end up probably overeating or potentially binging as a way to you know, because you've been restricting yourself from that. Yeah, no, I love that. It's like normalizing a lot of it and then yeah. showing ourselves compassion. Yeah. And seeing if there's other ways. And I also love the way that you say like, also emotional eating is cool and it's okay. Yeah. And it's actually like, I always think about this, like how freaking cool is it that like food can play such a role that is like supportive for us? Yeah. And like, it's, when we allow it to be. Yeah. Like when, when we're not beating ourselves up over it, you know, like, you can have 
build, we were ta- I was talking about this with my clients last night, like all of the amazing memories and connection that you build with other people around different eating experiences is so powerful. And like, that's so cool that food gets to be a part of like a way that we can connect with others and not, and, and with ourselves as well. But, you know, it's part of that and it's not, that's not a bad thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's actually a pretty freaking cool thing when we, yeah. are. <laughs> and I'd love to know, so how does intuitive eating fit in with ADHD yeah. and like, how can we use intuitive eating to support ourselves? Yeah. I like to think of it as creating space when you remove all the rules and the should and the shouldn'ts and all of that gives you the space to kind of figure out a way of eating that works best for you. And it'll really look different for everyone. Um, And I think, especially for folks, like if you're on medication, it might, you might not be able to eat three, you know, eat the same way that like someone who isn't on medication eats with your appetite suppressed and being, but being able to still find ways to nourish yourself. So you are still getting nourished, but figuring out a way that it might be look a little different than it does for somebody else. And that's totally okay. But just being, I think if you don't have that space to do that, then you feel terrible about yourself because you're like, well, I can't tolerate. If sometimes you feel bad of like, I, on my medication, the only thing that maybe sounds good is a PB and J sandwich. And they're like, I'm eating kids food. And I like, what the heck? Like I, that's so bad. I'm like, it's not bad at all. If, if that's, you can, if you're getting something in your system and you enjoy it, like we're doing okay. Like we're doing, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always better than no food. Yes. Something's better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And is there ways that intuitive eating actually doesn't work for someone with ADHD or something that we just should keep in mind that it's not going to be exactly the same. Same. Yeah. I think, I think we're honoring your hunger comes in for a lot of people who maybe don't have ADHD or issues with appetite. They may feel like that's, that might feel like an easy, like the idea of just eat when you're hungry might feel really easy or easier. And for some folks, even if they're not medicated, they're like, I don't experience hunger cues. Even if they maybe don't have a huge history of dieting, they might just ADHD years tend to have lower levels of interoception. So even recognizing that you need to go to the bathroom, that's the other one I usually will say to people. And they're like, yep. I, and they laugh because they're like, oh my God, I do the same thing with going to the bathroom. I wait, wait, wait until I have to run to the bathroom or, and I do the same thing with hunger. I wait, wait, wait. And then I really need to eat. And so being able to kind of just understand that a little bit better. And it might mean, it doesn't mean you're not being intuitive, but it might mean, Hey, if I notice I get hyper-focused and lose track of time. And then I go, you know, five, six hours without eating that maybe I need to set an alarm or something in the middle of my day to actually, you know, be able to stop and check in with myself and be like, Hey, we haven't eaten in a while. It's probably time room. You might need to create a little bit more structure that might feel kind of counterintuitive in a way, but it might help make sure that you are actually eating more regularly. Yeah. Oh, I love that you say that. Cause, um, I feel like in a lot of the clients that I have worked with, like they feel like they failed by intuitive eating because they couldn't get that like intuitive, like hunger piece. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, you know, when we think of intuitive eating, it's like all of these 10 different principles. It's not yeah. just the hunger, but I think our brain really gets stuck on like, but the hunger and satiety and connecting yeah. with the body is what I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really felt like I'm like, I'm, I'm failing at this. Like I cannot be an intuitive eater because I can't connect to my body and like, 
it's so easy to get through multiple hours and feel completely disconnected from the body I live in. So I love, love, love how you add that is like, no, we can still be, we just need to adjust and we just need to maybe cue a little bit more. So we do get to have those check-ins and it gets to look different and it's not better or worse. It just is. So we can kind of personalize that experience of like, cool, there is a barrier for me to like just intuitively connect at any time. So what could I do to put things into place so I'm able to still check in when it feels good? Yeah. And it might be for a lot of my clients too, like it's usually not a growling stomach. A lot of times there's a hunger cue. And I think helping people (laughs) learn or explore other ways that hunger shows up for you that maybe aren't like the classic signs of hunger. So that way, Hey, Oh, it isn't just that my stomach's growling. It could be that you get a headache at the same time every single day. And it's been four or five hours since you've eaten. It probably means that you're hungry. Or if you notice your mood shifts, like that might be a really big sign that, you know, you're hungry. Yeah. I know for me, like being hangry is a really big hunger cue. Like <laughs> if I get irritated at every little thing, I always joke with my clients. I'm like, I get angry at the speed of my internet. It does not change. And that's how I know that I'm hungry is that I'm like, you're irritated at absolutely nothing. And like, then I check in with myself and I'm like, when was the last time you ate? And usually it's okay. It's time to go eat something. Um, and just being able to use some of those cues to kind of just understand yourself a little bit, bit better. I love that. I love that. Um, and what would be maybe some practical tips that you could leave the audience with for someone to maybe incorporate some like intuitive eating or like anything yeah. like that? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think again, like if depending on what you feel like you're struggling the most with of like, um, if it's not eating consistently, which is a big like struggle for a lot of my clients is usually like, that's usually where I start with most, most ADHD years is a very inconsistent eating pattern, which is totally okay. Of like, how can we get you to eat consistently and thinking about it of like other things? Like if you just completely forget to eat because you get going with your day and you're like, I'm super busy. And I just go, 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 go until you like hit that wall and you really need something to eat of like, how do I remember to do other things in my day-to-day tasks, you know, and use those skills, or maybe it's keeping food. I have clients who make like a little snack tray in their office or something like that to visually cue them that they need to eat. Because even if they're just working from home, the kitchen might not be that far away, but if it's not in their line of sight or, you know, somewhere to kind of remind them, Hey, I need to stop and actually have something, you know, making things as, and just having it right there and accessible. So it's not, Oh, I have to stop and get out of, off, leave my desk and go somewhere else and mm-hmm. pull out a snack and do all of that. If it's like, Oh, it's here. I can do it. Like just reducing the barriers to eating and nourishing yourself as much as possible. Um, and the other thing I usually tell people is like practicing, especially if you are someone who forgets to eat, just even if it's setting an alarm to check in with yourself and that doesn't have to be just to eat of just practicing what do I need right now? And sometimes you might not know the answer. Um, and that's okay too, but just practicing pausing somewhere, you know, throughout your day, even if it's a couple of times throughout the day and being like, Hey, what do I need right now? Like, do I need to get up and walk around? Do I need to get a drink of water? Do I need to call someone? Cause I've just been like all by myself all day, you know, or maybe it is yeah. I need to eat and just getting, and that I think helps to build some of that mind, a little bit more mind body connection with yourself of understanding what you need. So it's not as doesn't just come out of nowhere. And you're like, I don't understand what's going on. Why do I feel this way? Yeah. 
No, I love that so, so much. And I hope that everybody who's listening can get like so many tips out of this and things that we can incorporate. And like the thing that I think resonates the most to me throughout this whole, com- like this whole conversation is like getting to know ourselves without yeah. judgment and really yeah. understanding like what I need is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's not like the mainstream messages that we hear, connecting to what you need and how we can make it you know, work for you with your habits, with your schedule, with your brain, with your like daily activities. Like, I think, yeah, that's the coolest thing. Like no matter who you are, it's just like coming back home to ourselves and just honoring that, which is really cool. Yeah. Cause it is one of those, I don't know, like, I know for me, when I first started intuitive eating, when it comes back to like the hunger piece, I was like, can I even do this because I'm on medication? Like my appetite was like, can I really, am I really an intuitive eater? And at first I was like, I don't think I can. I'm like, and I was like, because I'm on meds, so I'm not really honoring my hunger. And then I was like, oh wait, there's practical hunger. And that is where for a lot of my clients, I'm like, you might not be hungry during the day, but we know logically we should probably eat every three to four hours and bringing that in and it can make it feel more doable. And it's still, it's just, you know, I think intuitive eating is just a great framework that you can adapt to yourself versus having a million rules to follow or you know, or all the external tools that people use that make us feel bad when we can't stick to it or, you know, or it just makes our relationship with food worse typically. So yeah, having those things for ourselves. Uh, I love that so, so much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. (laughs) So where can people find you if they want to learn more about working with you? Like where, where are you at in the world? I am on Instagram primarily um, at ADHD.nutritionist. You can send me, um, you're welcome to send me a DM. I also have a link in my bio um, for a free 30 minute call. So if you're curious about joining one of my small groups or working together, um, that's always an option as well. Awesome. And all of the links will be in the show notes, guys. So you can just scroll down to the episode, click on it and just go check her out um, and say hello. And awesome. So we're going to finish with our fun questions. So the first question for you is what is your favorite food? My favorite food. It depends on nutrient age. (laughs) Fashion just depends on where I'm at. Sushi right now is probably one of my favorites. It, It fluctuates between like Sushi and like Mediterranean food, just depending on, on my mood. So I love, the yeah. I love it. I love it. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. I think so. I'm like, Ooh, that would be good. And then I'm like, maybe I don't want to have that superpower. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it would be cool to fly. I think that would be a fun superpower. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. What is your favorite way to self-care? Ooh, solo dance parties or a good run, anything with like a good EDM playlist. So like going for a run or a walk and listening to some EDM or just dancing in my living room to some EDM is probably one of my like favorite forms of self-care. I love it. I love it. And then last question for you, because this is the balanced dietitian podcast. What does balance mean to you? Ooh, balance, I think would be trying as my best as I can to, you know, to listen to my body without judge, listen to my body and mind and without judgment. And it might mean that, Hey, like, um, it might mean that I'm okay with in the past, I would have never been okay with taking a rest day 
but it might be, Hey, I need to take, you know, listening to myself of, Hey, I can take a rest day or, Hey, I can, you know, I can eat what I want, you know, and, you know, it will balance itself out. So I think just really connecting with, with my needs and being flexible with things. I love that so, so much. Thank you so much, Becca, for being on the podcast. This was such a great episode and I know that people are going to get so much from it. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.